The lesson has already been read for your hearing, just for homiletic emphasis. Let me repeat. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. This is why we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains will shake in the heart of the sea, though the waters will roar and foam, though the mountains will tremble with tumult. Despite all these things, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, and God shall not be moved. The nations might be in an uproar, the kingdoms might totter, the earth may melt, but the Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Searching for a new home. Searching for a new home. A friend encouraged me last week to revisit a book. It's somewhat of a contemporary classic, Jonathan Lear's Radical Hope, Ethics in the Face of Cultural Devastation. Unlike studies that are concerned with genocide, such as the Holocaust, and unlike books that are concerned with suffering as a result of natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina or earthquakes in Haiti or China, Professor Lear has another concern. His concern, his question is this, what happens when a culture dies? What happens when the proverbial ground shifts beneath the community's feet? When it shifts so radically and so drastically that people no longer know how to make meaning of their lives? To illustrate this point, Leah focuses on the Crow Indians of the 19th century. The Crow Indians, they were a nomadic tribe of hunters. They were a proud tribe of warriors, yet at some point life took a dramatic turn. Reeling from terrible wars with the Sioux Indians, the Crows made a deal with the United States for help in their fight. The US would provide them with 33 acres in what's now Wyoming and Montana for help battling the Sioux. The government would give the Crow tribe 50,000 worth of supplies each year and by entering into this alliance, the Crows adopted the position that the enemy of my enemy is now my friend. Not so. The U.S. provided 50,000 in supplies only once. 33 million acres was soon cut to 8 million and then 2 million within another decade. And by 1887, the Crow tribe was confined to a small reservation. Indian warfare and resistance was banned. 
nor were there any more buffaloes to hunt. Young crow men and women had no cultural markers to live into. They had no cultural patterns to help them make sense now of their world. Being confined to this reservation left this otherwise nomadic tribe in a state of existential limbo. What happens when a culture dies? In the words of their final great tribal chief, Plenty Coups, when the buffalo went away, the hearts of my people fell to the ground. And they could not lift up their hearts again. And after this, nothing. My brothers and sisters, the situation of the crow bears some resemblance to the plight and perils of another community. The situation of seeming cultural extinction rings familiar to many this morning. This story of social displacement and political catastrophe should resonate with some of you today. Why? Because this story is the ongoing story and constant struggle of ancient Israel. Thumb through the pages of the Hebrew Bible. We encounter a people whose identity and existence is always under threat. Peruse through the Pentateuch, through the prophets. You will read about a people who are constantly negotiating changing circumstances and volatile conditions. Take a ride with Abraham's seed through bondage in Egypt. Experience the populist revolt against Moses by the masses. Break into Canaan land with Joshua and Caleb. Experience the corruption of Israel's own self-serving kings and get us shit off into exile somewhere in Assyria and Babylon. For my friends, when you spend some time living in the Israel's sacred history, you might find yourself empathizing with the prophet Elijah when he's asking, Lord, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You might find yourself weeping with the prophet Jeremiah. The harvest is past, God. The summer is ended and we still are not saved. Or you might just find yourself crying out in frustration like the prophet Habakkuk. How long, O oh Lord? How long? We cry out violence and you still won't answer. Lord, how long? With all these deep and profound personalities share in common is their longing and their desire to find a new home. That was Abraham. Abraham, when he couldn't take the evil and corruption of idolatry in his land, he knew that there had to be something better and more beautiful than this. So he went out searching. That was Moses. When he could no longer endure witnessing God's children enslaved and exploited, he went out into the wilderness searching. That was Ezekiel. When God lifted Ezekiel out into a graveyard and showed him the skeletal remains of what was once a prosperous nation. Ezekiel began searching. 
I cite Abraham, I cite Moses, I cite Ezekiel here because they all share this in common. When confronted by unsettling social and political conditions and when tormented by even more dismal prospects for their future, they searched for a new home. And they searched for this new home in their dreams. Each one. Each one mined the depths of their despair and tapped into what philosophers like to call moral imagination, a creative orientation to the world. Moral imagination emboldens us to transcend the particularities of the present moment and imagine a radically different future. Jonathan Lear refers to this as a radical hope. A radical hope envisions ways, envisions alternative ways for those feeling displaced. It offers an alternative way for us to live. A radical hope. A radical hope paints world pictures of alternative worlds that transcend the limiting options defined by pain and loss. A radical hope. It presents new possibilities that are not encumbered by a so-called grand past, nor arrested by a grim present. Moral imagination, it's the work of the poets. For it's in the poets, it's in our midst, it's the poets that are all around us, it's the poets that are part of our communities. It's the poets that see clearly what others cannot envision and hear acutely what others are distracted. It's the poets who give us hope. The poets, the prophets, they challenge us to imagine. It's the poets, in the words of Gwendolyn Brooks, who encourage us to take a voyage. This is why I selected the 46th Psalm from today's lectionary. For the Psalms had a particular and distinct role in ancient Israel. They represent these Psalms, these, this poetry. It represents sophisticated lyrics and they depict new possibilities. Oh, no matter how dreary the day, no matter how long the night, no matter how amiss the historical moment may seem, the psalmist paints pictures, an inspirational portrait of God's will for justice, righteousness, and peace. The psalmist paints a landscape of a new home, a home where compassion is the guiding principle and care is the prevailing ethic. That's what the poets are for. They let us know that we can search and we won't search in vain. Why? Because there's something else out there. There's something that transcends our reality. There's something else. This is why and this is what we see in the 46th Psalm. The poet is presenting a vision of a new home. We don't know where this was written. We don't know why this particular psalm was written. We don't know what the conditions were that the poet is responding to. But it doesn't even matter. You can just take your pick. 
It could have been enslavement. It could have been exile. It could have been economic exploitation. It could have been unbridled injustice. Ancient Israel endured it all. But yet despite all of this, the poet was still able to sing, God is our refuge and our strength. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains will shake, though the waters will roar and foam, God is still in the midst of that city. And in times, of trial and tumult. And these times of tumult and trial in our nation and our world, this is what you and I must remember today. Here in Psalm 46, we can find comfort and we can find inspiration. For if you are seeking a new home, remember that God has already provided the blueprint. This is I, what I believe is our role. This is what I believe is our responsibility as Christians. As Christians, the most important question is never where we stand first politically in terms of partisan politics. Nor are the first questions about political parties or even national identity. Such a fragile allegiance is little more than a crass idolatry. But there's a deeper and a more fundamental question that you and I must constantly ask ourselves and that we must constantly wrestle with. And that question is, where do we stand in relationship to God's kingdom? Are we first and foremost residents in the city of Cambridge, in the city of New York or Los Angeles, even the United States? Or are we first and foremost residents in the city of God? Oh, let me be clear, my friends. Let me be clear. I'm not appealing to some sort of otherworldliness or some sort of spiritual escapism here. But rather, we know that the kingdom of God makes eternal demands upon us that should shape our temporary orientations to this kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God encourages us to honor service over celebrity. Extend compassion rather than seek power. And the kingdom of God asks us to concern ourselves with what we can give rather than what power we can gain. Sure. I'm not Pollyannish, I'm not being simplistic, I'm not stupid, I get it. I get that our society is saturated with a scintillating and tantalizing celebrity culture. I get that the temptation is real. We consume meanness as entertainment. We regard the accumulation of power as the source of our protection, even among Christians. Aligning with those in power has become the path we think to social credibility. But I'm here to tell somebody that that's a dangerous strategy. For none of us can ever achieve good success if we love our titles more than we love our tasks. 
we will become slaves to our own self-praise. And in the process, we will move further and further away from God's eternal reward. For if we build our hopes and self-worth on the thin ice of this world, we will soon have our hearts arrested by the frozen waters of inevitable change. For all idols of power and privilege that you and I erect will ultimately come crashing down. It's this building of idols. It's this thinking that security is based on power, that security is based on title, that security is based on celebrity, that security is based on wealth or military might. Maybe this might be the source of the wedge that's bitterly dividing our nation today. Could it be that too many of us have placed too much trust in the security markers of this worldly kingdom. Some of us have put our trust in our class position, in our educational attainments, rather than using our privilege to aid and assist others. We've used it to cordon ourselves off from the vast majority of our society and even our world. We've been off. We've been off vacationing in Martha's Vineyard while the kingdom is burning. And then we wonder why so many look at cities and regions like our own with suspicion, if not outright contempt. Similarly, it could be that some of us have placed too much trust in the security of skin color, ethnicity. Whiteness was supposed to be my all-access pass in this kingdom. So when economic possibilities began to erode for the vast majority of citizens in this nation, not to mention our world, it's easier to regard fellow citizens of color as enemies rather than allies. We allow would-be kings and wannabe emperors to exploit racial, regional, and religious differences. Rather than seeing this nation's exploited, seeing that they share more in common than not, some get intoxicated by the narcissism of minor differences. Futile appeals to white nationalism, male supremacy, and all other ideologies of the socially insecure will only hasten the destruction of this temporal kingdom. Desperate people trying to reclaim a home that was never theirs in the first place. But when I read, when I read the 46th Psalm, I am reminded that I'm searching for a different kind of home. A home that's not subject to the vacillations and vicissitudes of this life. A home that's built on a solid foundation of righteousness, justice, and love. And a home whose doors swing on welcome hinges. And that provides VIP passes to the most vulnerable in our world. That's the home I'm looking for. You and I 
That's our challenge today. You and I must continue to dream of this home because it's only our dreams of this home that might improve our conditions in this temporal home. Oh, here, here I'm reminded of Anna Castillo's powerful book on this topic. Here, Castillo tells the story of Montezuma, chieftain of Mexico in the early 16th century. Montezuma heard rumors about warriors that were coming to overtake his kingdom. So Montezuma called together all of the dreamers from across the empire to provide insight to what's going on. These dreamers, they came together from all the four corners of the empire. And when they came together, they looked at the emperor Montezuma and they confirmed all of the rumors. His kingdom would come to an end. Well, being a man of great ego and insecurity, Montezuma ordered that all of the dreamers should be put to death. And this, my friends, was his greatest and most tragic sin. For when his empire came to an end, as all empires do, there were no dreamers left in the neighborhood to imagine a new life of possibility. There were no dreamers left to cast a new vision of a new home. So brothers and sisters, I've stopped by here to tell you this morning and to encourage all of the dreamers that are in the house today. Somebody who realizes that God is our refuge and our strength and ever present help in the time of trouble. Dreamers who know that though kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall, justice and truth pressed down to the earth shall surely rise again. Dreamers who are searching for a new home. Dreamers who know how to lift up their voices and say, come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song of sweet accord and thus surround the throne. For men of grace have found that glory has begun below. Heavenly fruits on earthly ground from faith that hope must grow. For we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching on with Zion. That beautiful city of God. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm looking for a new home.